Warning. The following contains details involving rape and sexual violence and may be distressing and triggering and difficult to listen to. Listener discretion is advised. Dear Judge Struther, Thank you for reading my letter and taking the time to understand the reality and facts of this case against Jacob Walter Anderson before you make a decision on a plea bargain to set free the man who raped me and ruined my life. On February 21, 2016, when I was a 19-year-old sophomore at Baylor University, Jacob Walter Anderson took me to a secluded area behind a tent and proceeded to violently and repeatedly rape me. He repeatedly raped me orally and vaginally while choking me, gagging me, and physically forcing my body into positions so he could continue to rape me. I had no control over my body and no way to stop him. When I collapsed on the ground, he pulled down his pants and shoved his penis into my mouth and down my throat, gagging me. When he forcefully picked me up and shoved me into a wall to rape me vaginally from behind, he calmly and coldly said, It's fine. You're fine. When I tried to pull up my pants or sit, he shoved me to the ground and shoved his penis back down my throat and continued to choke me. When he forced me up again, he started to rape me vaginally again. I blacked out permanently. He had taken what he wanted and had proven his power over my body. He then walked home and went to bed without a second thought to the ravaged, half-dead woman he left behind. When I regained consciousness, I did not know where I was. I was lying in the grass and dirt and something sticky was on my face. As I continued to throw up, I realized I had been vomiting and aspirating while I was unconscious. My friends immediately took me to the hospital and a SANE exam or sexual assault nurse examiner verified the rape. I had trauma, tearing, and grass inside my vagina. I was treated for HIV and many STDs and told to take Plan B. I had to get labs done two more times over the next year to make sure that I did not have HIV or STDs. Every time is stressful, wondering if I might still die as a result of being raped. The police arrived and took a report. The SANE exam feels like you're being raped all over again and is very traumatic. I did not want to take the plan B because I thought it was an abortion pill and I am Roman Catholic and believe abortion is a sin. This was just another horrifying event on top of the rape and assault. It was also a reminder that this rapist, Jacob Anderson, had stolen something very valuable, in fact priceless to me, my virginity. I will not be able to come to my future husband innocent and untouched. I saved myself for my wedding night and Jacob Anderson stole that from me. The details of the last two years and ten months of my life have been horrible and sad. The many doctor's appointments, sessions with therapists and psychiatrists, the anxiety attacks, nightmares, and suicidal thoughts are too many to list. 
Every day I have to deal with words or events that trigger memories or anxiety attacks. Some days I had to call my mother, who would talk to me for an hour or more before I could function again. There have been many days when I just wanted to end it all and did not want to live. I will summarize by saying I became suicidal, and although my mother came to Texas to live with me, I finally had to leave Baylor and go live at home. The constant fear and anxiety was overwhelming. Seeing him in my community and having a private detective stalking me took me over the edge. I am on medication and have been to many therapists and psychiatrists. I still live at home and have not been able to move out on my own yet. From the beginning, Prosecutor Hillary Laborde told us the following things. 1. I have more evidence in this case than any rape case I've ever tried before. He will definitely be convicted. It's just a matter of his punishment. Just go up and tell your story. This case is cut and dry, and he will be convicted. 2. Only 1% of rape victims have this level of trauma and tearing, and this is very good medical evidence to prove the rape. 3. Someone from Baylor Law School who I know called me and said that he has seen Jacob Anderson at bars feeding girls drinks and acting sexually inappropriate. So much so that it made him very uncomfortable and he felt the need to call me and tell me. 4. I'm pretty sure he's done this before. I'm really worried he's going to do it again. 5. This is not his first time. Rapists work up to this kind of violence. The more they get away with it, the more they do. 6. He had porn on his phone. Violent acts like what he did to you. 7. I think they're trying to see if I would let him plead to lesser offenses as a way of getting the case closed. I said no. I think they wanted more time because they saw the opportunity to get it. It was my office's mistake. Sadly, I've had defense attorneys play much dirtier than this. Ultimately, I think the delay will help the case. Ms. Laborde offered the first plea deal to Jacob Anderson before she had read the Title IV report or any of the witness statements. We found out when my mother came in with my brother to give his statement. We were so angry and felt so betrayed. Jacob Anderson declined the plea, which included 10 years of probation and registering as a sex offender. She promised she would not offer another plea. We found out about this current plea by reading about it in the Waco Tribune. Throughout the years, she kept telling us the defense gets to pick the date and they had not done so. Then they kept delaying or were not available. Then when we finally had a date, April 16, 2018, and the witnesses had been subpoenaed, she let the defense delay it again. Apparently, she never sent them the Title IV report that everyone, including the defense, had access to since August of 2016, when Baylor sent everyone a FERPA letter. They had already two years to prepare for trial. 
It took six months just to get the DA to respond to my original request for a restraining order. I filled out the forms the day after the rape. When Anderson was arrested, the DA never bothered to enter his bond restrictions into the system. So when he appeared in my housing community and I called the police, they had no record of his arrest or the bond limitations and could not protect me. The defense hired a private investigator to follow me, stalk me, and intimidate me. There was no one protecting me. The continued fear has been so great that I was unable to return to Waco to walk in my graduation ceremony. Another dream stolen from me. I have not returned to Waco. On December 10th, 2018, I will summon my courage to return to Waco to hear your decision. This plea is so hard to believe and I can't understand where it even came from. After losing a case, Miss Laborde said she decided she would not win a rape case unless he has multiple victims. She decided that the previously thought great medical evidence of trauma and tearing would just be attributed to my virginity. She thought my actions were similar to the victim in the case that she lost. This is not true in the slightest. I did not go home with Jacob Anderson and fall asleep on his couch and wake up in his bed. I was repeatedly raped behind a tent and left unconscious to die. Being drunk is no excuse to rape a woman. She's apparently so worried that Jacob Anderson will rape more girls that she feels it's more important to put him into counseling rather than prison. This makes no sense. The current DA, Abel Reina, has never spoken to any of us and has not been involved in this case. His response in the media to the plea is that if he can't prove the drink, toxic Everclear punch, had an additional drug in it, then he wouldn't bother to try the case. Well, I would like to remind Mr. Reina that rape is a crime. Rape is a felony crime. It does not matter one bit if there was an extra drug in my drink. I was intoxicated and incapacitated and sedated from whatever was in that punch and did not consent to have Jacob Anderson physically assault me, choke me, orally or vaginally rape me repeatedly until he almost killed me. A grand jury indicted Jacob Anderson on four counts of sexual assault punishable with up to 20 years of prison per count. And now the DA is letting him go completely free and have his record wiped clean. This is an absolute tragedy. What will they tell the next victim when she questions why she did not know Jacob was a sex offender? How does she think the girls in his current college classes feel knowing that they could have been his next victim? By the grace of God, I'm alive today to fight this injustice. One breath either way, Jacob Walter Anderson would be on trial for murder. I am writing this letter to hold the DA accountable to do their job and seek justice. To hold Jacob Anderson accountable for his crimes. He raped me. He almost killed me. A grand jury indicted him on four counts of sexual assault, not 
unlawful restraint. Many women are terrified to report rape. Rape ruins your life, and the reporting of rape ruins your life. It has affected everyone around me. My friends, my family, even people who don't know what's going on because I've changed. I am no longer the person that they once knew. I've gone years without being able to socialize. I have to take baby steps every day to heal and function as I did before the rape. My entire family has been affected. My mother has had to handle most of the legal issues in addition to taking care of me. It has deeply and negatively affected her physically and emotionally. She has been the wall protecting me, and she has absorbed so much to protect me from further harm. My father has been so supportive of my recovery and has to deal daily with the fact that the man who raped and nearly killed his daughter is roaming around free. I wonder if other women in Waco will report their rapes if Jacob Anderson gets this plea. Why bother? I reported this rape immediately. I immediately identified the rapist as Jacob Anderson. I immediately went to the hospital. I gave a report to the Waco police. I gave a report to the Baylor police. I gave a report to Title IV. I suffered through a months-long Title IV investigation. I had to repeat the facts and relive that night over and over again so that the justice system could do their job. I put my faith in the McLennan County DA's office and they betrayed me. It's like a knife in my gut. A grand jury indicted Jacob Walter Anderson on four counts of sexual assault. The evidence has not changed since then. He still raped me and left me to die. Nothing has changed except the confidence of an assistant district attorney who doesn't want to risk her win-loss record or a district attorney who is on his way out and doesn't care anymore. What else could possibly have instigated this horrible plea deal? It's a very sad state of affairs when the prosecutor is now just another attorney for the defense. Who is left to stand up for me, the rape victim? Who is left to stand up for truth and justice? There is no reason why this case should not go to trial. I would like this case to go to trial. The evidence to be heard. Witnesses should be heard. A judge and jury of his peers should decide if he is innocent or guilty, and then and only then should he be sentenced and have to register as a sex offender. Thank you for reading my letter, and thank you for considering how Jacob Anderson raping me has affected my life and the life of my family and friends. Sincerely, Donna Doe Dreamers, you can consider this episode to be a public service announcement. We are going to discuss the case of rapist Jacob Walter Anderson. This is not a California case, but it echoes one of the previous privileged college student rapists that we've covered last year, Brock Turner. 
So it behooves us all to know who this Jacob Anderson is, to know his face, and to keep his name and his story out there. Because dreamers, he raped a woman, and not only will he be spending not one day in jail, he won't even be made to be on the sex offender registry ever. So it's up to us to spread the word and make sure that he is not forgotten. Because these lenient sentences are sending out a very troubling message that if you're a popular, privileged, studious college fraternity president or a star swimmer, or if you quote-unquote don't look like a rapist, or you shouldn't be held responsible for 20 minutes of action, a very disconcerting message that the consequences are minimal if you commit rape or sexual assault, if you meet certain prerequisites. And this is simply unacceptable. Brock Turner got a slap on the wrist for his 20 minutes of action. Fortunately, the judge in his case lost his job over that. And now it's happened again, this time at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. I read you the details of the case as the victim impact statement graphically laid out what happened to Donna Doe the night of February 21st, 2016, the night that Jacob Anderson raped her repeatedly and left her on the ground, unconscious, face down in her own vomit. So we don't have to go over that again. A grand jury was convened. An indictment of four counts of sexual assault was handed down. And then, after some legal maneuvering, Anderson was offered a plea bargain two years after the fact, a plea bargain, a slap in the face yet again to another rape survivor, all because of privilege. News articles like to call him the ex-fraternity president or former Baylor student, but for our purposes, we can just call him rapist Jacob Anderson, just like we called rapist Brock Turner, rapist Brock Turner. I'm not going to be calling him the swimming rapist anymore because my friend Brad, he's a swimmer, and pointed out that it's cringy for swimmers to be associated with him. So we'll just call him Rapist Brock Turner. So Rapist Anderson was indicted on four counts of sexual assault. But because of the plea agreement, he was going to be allowed to plead no contest to the lesser charge of unlawful restraint. He will be required to complete three years of deferred probation, pay a $400 fine. He will be required to complete some alcohol and drug and psychological treatment plans. And when successfully finished with all of that, his criminal record will be wiped clean. Well, what about jail? What about having to register as a sex offender? Nope. No jail no registry, just a few years of probation, some classes, and this man will be free to roam the streets and troll around in bars or wherever he sees fit. And after he was banned from Baylor, after raping Donna Doe, he enrolled at the University of Texas in Dallas. But as soon as the news broke that he was getting the sweetheart deal, the university caught wind that there was a known rapist among them and they promptly banned him from their campus as well. 
So we are left to only hope that due to the fact that rapist Anderson is not considered a candidate for the sex offender registry, that every single college campus in Texas is made aware of who this man is and to safeguard their students by preemptively banning him also. Because Anderson is obviously still trying to finish up his education, which poses a clear and present danger to every woman on any college campus at which he attempts to become enrolled. Should he not be allowed to finish up his education? No, he absolutely should be able to finish up. But stay home. Go to online school. He doesn't have to come to any college campus ever again. How did all of this start anyway? Well, according to Donna Doe's statement to police, she had attended a fraternity party. She set her drink down for a minute to dance for a bit, and when she came back to it, she picked it up, took some sips, and suddenly began to feel incredibly intoxicated, and soon she felt sedated. She began losing her focus and didn't feel like she had any control over her own body. She noticed Jacob Anderson, who seemed to be following her, but she knew him to have a girlfriend, so she didn't pay it much mind. He continued to follow her around, and eventually he told her to follow him outside. And it was out there that the sexual assault that she described began. And she woke up, face down in her own vomit. So now we're left asking why. Why is the prosecutor in this case, Hillary Laborde, who seemingly believed in Donna Doe in the beginning, do a complete 180 and accept the plea agreement with this rapist? Did it not matter that the grand jury indicted Jacob Anderson on four counts of sexual assault? No. In the end, it didn't matter. She decided that she was not going to bring this case to trial. And she had her reasons. And her boss, the district attorney, supported her decision. Prosecutor Laborde penned a letter to Donna Doe and to her parents. And CNN reported some of the excerpts from that letter. The wind-up is, is that she was concerned about the jury looking to blame the victim and in turn be unwilling to convict rapist Anderson because he's only ever been accused of one sexual assault, stating in her letter, It is my opinion that our jurors aren't ready to blame rapists and not victims when there isn't concrete proof of more than one victim. And by the way, the family didn't even hear it from the prosecutor first. They heard it through the media. And in Prosecutor Laborde's letter, she said, I apologize for not telling both of you about this agreement before there was a story in our newspaper. I didn't know that there would be a story about a plea that hasn't occurred, about which nothing has been made public. I've accepted an offer on Jacob Anderson. It's for probation on the charge of felony unlawful restraint, not sexual assault. Therefore, he will not have to register as a sex offender. I realize that this is not the outcome that we had hoped for or that I had originally offered, but I tried a very similar case to this one last month and lost. In light of the similarities between the cases, it is my opinion 
it would be worse to try Anderson and lose and have the entire matter wiped from his criminal history than to accept this plea offer. Not to mention the emotional damage Donna Doe would have to deal with if she had to testify and then felt the jury thought she was a liar. The other case, State versus Hunter Morgan, was covered in the Waco Tribune and as I said was very similar to Jacob Anderson's case. In that case, the defendant also had no criminal history other than the offense on trial. He was also eligible for probation, but the jury understood that, even with probation, someone convicted for first-time offenses would have to register as a sex offender for the rest of his life. The victim in the Hunter Morgan case had injuries to her genitals and the defendant's DNA in her underwear. I actually thought the Hunter Morgan case was stronger than Jacob Anderson's because Morgan admitted the victim was intoxicated, too intoxicated to consent, and he admitted he wasn't intoxicated at all. One weakness I've always identified with Anderson is that he was drinking also. And although I think he's exaggerating, he acts as though he was extremely intoxicated at the time that he was at the frat party. Three of the male jurors in the case told me that they would not send someone to prison for that. One of the female jurors, a nurse, said that she did not think the defendant looked like a rapist. A few of the male jurors thought the DNA in the victim's underwear proved nothing, merely that she had been around him. And then the prosecutor also told Donna Doe that the fact that she was a virgin wasn't going to help the case by stating, To speak frankly as to the injuries in your case, the research suggests that victims with no sexual experience are more likely to be injured because the sexual encounter is their first. So medically speaking, Donna Doe's innocence and lack of experience makes the medical evidence less helpful. In short, I think this jury in the Morgan case was looking for any excuse to not find an innocent-looking young defendant guilty. They engaged in a lot of victim-blaming, and the behavior of that victim is very similar. It is my opinion that our jurors aren't ready to blame rapists and not victims where there isn't concrete proof of more than one victim. I have had success in trying college-age defendants, yes but in retrospect, only when they have multiple victims. Multiple victims puts the focus properly on the criminal's conduct. That didn't happen when there was only one victim and only one event to talk about. Well, I can't imagine the upset y'all will feel at believing Anderson isn't getting what he deserves. I don't want him to get away with his crime entirely. Part of his probation will be getting sex offender treatment and alcohol treatment. Without these terms, and if he's just found not guilty, there will be no reason to think his conduct will be different the next time he's in a bar and finds a woman who can't defend herself. Given the similarities, I'm surprised the defense attorneys for Anderson are willing to plea him to anything, and I don't want to squander the opportunity for there to be some consequence for him that might alter his behavior in the future. In addition to all this, Prosecutor Laborde's boss 
District Attorney of McLennan County, Abel Renya, supported and defended the decision to accept the plea and not take this case to trial, stating, Early in this case, law enforcement believed that the victim may have been drugged, and this belief has widely disseminated in the media. However, the evidence did not support that theory. This office stands by the plea offer and believes that we have achieved the best result possible with the evidence at hand. Anderson's attorneys have pointed out two things. One, that there was no DNA connecting their client to the crime, and that Donna Doe gave what they described as numerous inconsistent statements to the prosecution. Again, more victim blaming. In June of 2018, another privileged Baylor University student named Hunter Michael Morgan was acquitted on sexual assault charges stemming from a March 2014 incident. And there was DNA evidence on the survivor's underwear that linked him to it. His attorney would like us all to know that Hunter is a wonderful young man, a Christian man, with no prior criminal record. He's a pre-med major with a 4.0 GPA, a big church member, And he's lost so much just because of these allegations. Hopefully, he can go forward. Hunter Morgan, poor guy, had to drop out of the pre-med program at Baylor following the sexual assault allegations. And according to his attorney, he can no longer get any type of life or health insurance because of it. He has had to lower himself to working for his father's construction business. Morgan turned down a plea offer from the DA's office that would have had him plead guilty to unlawful restraint, and he would have had to register as a sex offender, the sex offense being the underlying crime. He refused the offer because he claimed that there was no sexual assault. The survivor in this case testified that she had too much to drink while she was at a party with her friends and wound up at Morgan's apartment. She remembered vomiting and then blacking out. When she awoke the next day, she did not know where she was. She did not know Morgan prior to that evening. She had no memory of the sexual assault, but she had vaginal pain. She could not find her bra, and her underwear had been taken off and put back on inside out. She went to the hospital and was given a rape exam, and it was shown that she had vaginal tearing consistent with sexual assault. Morgan's skin cell DNA was found inside and outside of her underwear. His attorneys argued that the DNA is a result of having slept in Morgan's bed, and there is no other evidence that anything other than that happened. He denied having sex with her, claiming that he slept on the sofa. The jury was, at first, split 7-5 to for guilty, but the more they deliberated, the more reasonable doubt issues arose. In the end, there just wasn't enough evidence for them. It is worth mentioning that three former Baylor University football players were tried and convicted of sexual assault. As a matter of fact, the issue was so problematic that the university's president and chancellor, as well as the football coach, were all fired. So Baylor students aren't completely immune to prosecution for sexual assault. 
but the chances of getting convicted appear to be greater under certain circumstances. One of them being, it seems, if you happen to be black. Is it a coincidence that the three convictions in recent years were black students and the two that we talked about today aren't black? Perhaps I'd have to look at each case individually and see the evidence and how it measures up. But just based on the one juror's comment about Hunter Morgan not looking like a rapist, if that's the way it is, if they made their decision based on that, then yeah, this all would make sense, I guess. So, again, we've come to see, not just with this latest case in Waco, but in many jurisdictions across the country, our system still can't seem to distinguish between the criminal and the victim in all of these cases. I can hardly think of any other violent crime where victim blaming is so readily acceptable by everyone involved. Attorneys, prosecutors, DA, judges, juries, and beyond. I mean, Donna Doe said it herself. Who's left to protect survivors if they are the ones being treated like criminals? Baylor University is described as the quintessential example of Christian ideals. According to Baylor's Guide to Community Living, they clearly forbid sexually explicit materials of any kind in any form including materials on computers or even posters that depict even partial nudity. And students are expected to exhibit behaviors consistent with the biblical understanding that physical sexual intimacy is to be expressed in the context of marital fidelity. Agree or disagree is not the issue. The issue here is that these are the expectations of the school and this school has historically been biased against women when doling out punishments, expelling women for certain violations, yet sending out warning notices and emails to men for similar indiscretions. And that only scratches the surface of the mindset the community appears to be embedded in, and it continues to permeate to this day with these two latest campus rape cases. If you are a woman and you don't do everything perfectly, then when something goes wrong, it's going to be your fault. But if you're a guy and you look the part, then you probably don't deserve to be bothered with this. These two cases, the one against Jacob Anderson and the one against Hunter Morgan, the survivors did everything right, starting with doing what many rape survivors don't do. They reported it, and they reported it right away. From that point on, everybody needed to do everything that they could to protect these women from being re-victimized and to see that through to the end. Prosecutors, when they promise justice, need to keep their promises, no matter how afraid they are that they might lose. The bigger loss is to allow a dangerous sex offender to be able to live free and anonymously in our communities. How and why our justice system is so seemingly comfortable with this is beyond comprehension. And in doing so, 
in allowing these men to either walk or have a slap on the wrist or have no punishment at all because they have straight A's or they're a fraternity president or they're a star swimmer. It sends a very toxic message that if you happen upon a woman who is intoxicated, it's okay to take her clothes off and sexually assault her as you see fit because the consequences are a joke and everybody's going to blame her anyway. And if you have good grades and you can comb your hair and you can wear a suit and tie to court, then you're golden. Baylor is a Christian university, and these parts of Texas are often referred to as the buckle of the Bible belt. And the deliberate hypocrisy we have seen in this so-called justice system for survivors of sexual assault does little to keep up that reputation. Donna Doe gave her sworn statement and testified in painfully graphic and disturbing details of what this man did to her and how he left her face down in her own vomit. Yet she was still dismissed in favor of making sure her rapist would be able to move forward comfortably. Even by the individual sworn to see justice be done. What a letdown. I get the prosecutor's reasons for accepting the plea but it is still no reason to not fight. If she told Donna Doe that she was afraid that they would not get a conviction, but Donna Doe wanted to move forward anyway, that's what I think should have happened. The prosecutor's win-loss record trumped justice. If a jury were to acquit, then so be it. It's on the shoulders of the jury to carry that burden. At least you didn't go down without a fight. I diluted myself into thinking that after what we saw with Emily Doe and the Stanford rape case, that the eyes of the country would have been collectively focused on the fallout of that. The judges are not going to be so willing to hand down laughable sentences for violent sexual assaults, but I was wrong. I read you every single word of Emily Doe's impact statement, and it was powerful. She told Brock Turner that he took away her worth. And here we are, just a couple of years removed from that, and the justice system still gets to do whatever it wants by continuing to not punish rapists in the manner in which it should, by continuing to lay the blame for these violent crimes squarely on the victim. And every time it does so, it continues to take away from the worth of every single survivor out there. We, us, all of us, my dreamers, everyone, we stand together on this. I'm certain of that. But it's time that this justice system of ours did too. I'd like to thank Lindsay Gonzalez for posting the article and reminding me about this case because we definitely needed to talk about this.